0: Hey, you know what? (laughs) There's a word that all of us hate. There we go. Now I'm on script. Uh, There's a word that every single one of us hate. And the word that we all hate is this word right here. Discipline. Ew, right? I mean, discipline. Nobody likes discipline. Uh, We have a saying at CrossFit. That sucked. Everything hurts. I'll see you tomorrow. Okay? And that's exactly how discipline feels. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes to go through it. Nobody likes to feel it. But at the same time, when you go through it, you're like, and this is actually good for me. I probably should stick with this. Uh, It's probably a good thing I'm here. Tell you what, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm going to be coming back. Because we all know that what discipline leads to is discipline leads to really good habits. Right? I mean, if you're disciplined, it leads to good habits. And good habits... Good habits. Many times it ends up leading into well, self-control. And we all celebrate self-control. I mean, when somebody has self-control, they have a huge chip on their shoulder, right? I mean, you ever seen that person who can say no to a dessert and they feel like they've just won an Academy Award? You know, You're like, do you want dessert? And they're like... No, I don't, you know, and they're super proud of themselves because for once in their life, they've said no to a cookie and they're like, I did it. I made it. I am now disciplined. I have good habits. And then they're like, what if it's a crumble cookie? And you're like, shoot. Uh, Anyway, but that's a whole different story, right? But the thing is, is that we all want to experience that in life, no matter what it's, you know, in regards to whether it's health or fitness or money or anything like that. But, but here's the interesting thing about discipline is when it comes to motive, motive is completely unrelated to outcome. Motive is completely unrelated to outcome. And attitude as well. Attitude is completely unrelated to outcome. What I mean by that is I don't know what your motives are. Okay? I mean, you could, let's take it in terms of finances. Your motives for being uh, you know, smart with your money or having you know, financial integrity, it could be so that you could be rich. you know, Or it could be that you could be more generous. It really doesn't matter if you follow the disciplines, you end up in the same place. You end up with the same outcome. The same is true of attitude. You can have the completely wrong attitude, but if you follow the correct disciplines, you will find yourself at the desired outcome. It's kind of like my wife eating vegetables. Okay, My wife hates vegetables. She will not eat vegetables. But I am like her, I don't know, her guardian nutritionist, and I like feed her vegetables because I do the cooking at night. And so it's like I'll make broccoli, and I'll be like, here's some for the kids, and then you... Here you go, Kay, you know. And this is how my wife eats vegetables, okay? She stares a hole in me. She sits across from me. She looks me dead in the eye, and she mad chews. (laughs) I'm like, calm down. I'm trying to, you know, keep you alive, all right? But that's, but it doesn't matter, right? Which, by the way, I told that story Wednesday night in Wright City, and everyone started to text my wife, Ways to eat vegetables. And uh, she was so confused. She's like, why is the entire church text? Why is Bo telling me that I just need to put butter on my vegetables? All right. Now she has context and she's here. Okay. But anyway, but it didn't matter. Right. It didn't matter whether your attitude or your motive. You can end up in the same place. But what happens a lot of times is when it comes to discipline, we've all experienced this. A lot of times an ought to becomes, I want to, a lot of times what I endure becomes, I actually enjoy it. Again, I see this all the time at CrossFit. People will come in and they're like, look, I'm here because I have to be. I'm here because my doctor says I need to lose a couple pounds. I need to get healthier. I need whatever. I want to look better. And they don't want to be there, but they know they need to be there. And sometimes they even come in like, I don't even want to know what the workout is. Just tell me what to do. Just put me through it. I'll endure it and I'll show up again tomorrow. But after what happens after a while is what we endure, many times they begin to enjoy. Many times they start to look ahead. They start to get excited. And even when they're not able to do it, they actually kind of miss it. That happens all the time. Many times what begins as a sheer discipline becomes a habit. But what becomes a habit becomes life-changing. And many times, not even just life-changing, but life-preserving. And we all, because we all, what we start to learn is that when it comes to discipline, discipline facilitates progress. And discipline also facilitates prosperity. But here's the rub. Here's the tricky thing. Discipline, though, it also facilitates delayed gratification. And if you don't know what delayed gratification is, it's doing what we ought to do now so we can do what we really want to do later. And there's the rub. But we'll talk about that here in just a minute. If you're just joining us, we are in the middle of a series called Faith. And what we've been talking about is there are two things that made Jesus' jaw dropped. When you look through the New Testament scriptures and look at places where it says Jesus was amazed, he was amazed at two things. People of great faith... And the exact opposite, people's lack of faith. That's what made Jesus' jaw drop. And it shouldn't surprise us because his initial invitation was this. Follow me. Follow me. He invited his apostles to follow before they believed in anything. The invitation was not believe in me. It was follow me, follow me. And I think what you'll learn is to believe that I am who I say I am, that I am the son of God, that I truly do want to make your life better and make you better at life. And so the invitation was to follow Jesus. And that's exactly what the disciples did. And they didn't always do it perfectly, just like you and me. They slipped up, they made mistakes, they bit off more than they could chew, they weren't prepared for things. But Jesus continued to invite them to follow him, continued to use them, continued to intersect their lives with other people's lives. And you know what? It changed the world. Here we are 2,000 years talking about their stories, talking about their letters. But that invitation was changed because although Jesus invited his apostles in his first century church to follow him, what happened was after Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected, ascended into heaven, there was a time of persecution where, boy, did they need faith. But uh, after enough time, all of a sudden, Christianity became the legal uh, legal religion of the entire empire. All of a sudden, it it, it was something that everybody was against, but then it was something that everybody was for. And here's what happened is organized religion was suddenly born. When it comes to organized religion, well, we want to grow big, sexy churches with big, sexy buildings. And it's a little hard to do that on following Jesus and actually living out your faith. And so what did they uh, water it down to? They watered it back down to just believe. Hey, just believe. Just believe in Jesus. You know, and you might, this might be your experience. You're growing up in church, and you're like, all right, so what's the deal with this whole Christianity thing? Well, all you need to do is accept Jesus into your heart. You know, just believe in Him. You know, maybe you even came down to an altar like this, and you prayed some kind of prayer, you did some kind of thing with your hands or something like that, and they're like, well, that's it. You're good to go. As long as you believe that Jesus died for your sins, rose again, and and, and all that stuff, you're going to heaven. You've punched your ticket. You don't need to do anything else, but show up please at Easter and Christmas because we count that attendance and we triple it. So please show up during those times, right? But here's the thing. It was never meant to be a believe in me type of thing because we all know this belief is not a difference maker. You can believe the right things, and it's not a difference maker. You have to follow. You have to do. You have to put it into practice in your life. And so here's what we've discovered in this series. God is most honored by our living, active, death-defying in spite of faith. That is what God desired for His first century church, and it's what He desires us to be today. So we've been talking about what fuels or facilitates the development of enduring faith. What is it that grows up and blows up your faith? Whether you grew up with faith and you've walked away from it and you haven't been to church in a very long time, or whether you're a baby Christian, you're just coming into this thing and you're trying to get handlebars on this thing, you're trying to understand it, or, or maybe it's just a thing where you, you've been a Christian for so long, but it just, man, you were consider yourself on fire for God at one point, but now it just feels like that's dwindled down to a pilot light. How do you grow up and blow up your faith? And we've been talking about five dynamics that grow up and blow up our faith. And the first one we talked about was this, practical teaching. I think that this story that I just read is just spot on for this entire series. Because here's somebody who's like, I started coming to church. Somebody opened up the scriptures and they explained it to me in such a way they made it practical and they gave me handlebars to this thing. So much so that when I saw an opportunity, I knew what I was supposed to do, not believe. I knew what I needed to do. My faith needed to be in action. And what we talked about is when our faith is in action, that's when That's when we experience God's faithfulness on the other side. And that's when God feels real. That's when our faith and our confidence in God grows, when we actually put it into pract- practical application in our life. And then we talked about this, personal ministry. Personal ministry, when you feel the nudge from God, when you feel the calling from God, and again, here's what so many of you are dealing with right now, is that you feel like God is telling you to adopt this kid. You feel like God is telling you that you need to do this. You feel like God is telling you you need to quit your job and you need to do this. You feel like God, he's, he's showing you this thing that's going on in the world and you feel like you need to go do something about it. And you don't know, you don't think you have what it takes, but what did we talk about? In the story of the feeding of the 5,000, found a kid's lunchbox and the disciples were like, well, this is what we got, Lord. And Jesus is like, bring me what you got. Bring me what you got. And again, that story is so good because somebody was in the middle of Walmart and they felt the nudge. Yes, amazing holy things can happen in the middle of Walmart. Who knew such a thing existed? I always thought it was Target or Lowe's. But apparently, God shows up at Walmart too. All places of the world. But anyway, somebody felt the nudge. Hey, you need to go do what I've told you to do. And they're, again, their faith was in action. And on the other side of that, God shows up. God gives them the right words. God gives them the right things to do. And look at what happens. And then the third thing was this, providential relationships. When God, it feels like God is intersecting his life with yours, but then he's intersecting your life with somebody else's. Again, these are the situations, right time, right place. Right friendship. Who knew when this, when this person walked into this room, when this person showed up in my life, I had no clue what kind of impact they would have on my life. But it was almost providential. It was like they showed up in a defining moment. God does that all the time. We, can, we can't understand it. But we have to understand that, that this is not a solo sport. This is a team sport. This is something we do together. And that's a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. But the thing that we're going to focus on today is this fourth thing. Private, spiritual, spiritual. Disciplines private spiritual disciplines if you talk to somebody of great faith somebody whose faith inspires your faith and you're like, hey, man, what's your secret? They'll tell you everything that i've just told you probably maybe a little bit more, but they'll also mention that they have private spiritual disciplines They'll tell you you know what what really changed for me is I was going to church and I was listening to that preacher up there and that's great But then what I happened was is I opened up the scriptures for the first time by myself I started to read the story of Jesus. I started to look at the scriptures. I started to spend time with God. I started to pray. And not just Jesus get me out of jail prayers, but like, hey, God, speak to my life. What is your will? What is your way? They'll tell you about how they started to, to, to corporately gather with other people and all of this stuff. But, but the theme is the same every single time. is that it's something that they pre-decided to do. They predecided. this, these are my disciplines. This is what I'm going to personally decide to do on my own time when I can. Because it's my personal relationship with Jesus. And they pre-decided what they were going to do. And many times, even for us in the spiritual faith, it starts out as a discipline, ends up being a habit, and then it's a lifestyle. Talk to any of our staff. Talk to any of our leadership team. People who you look at their life and you're like, man, I just admire how death defying your faith is. I I see what you go through and I see how you respond to certain things and it's inspiring. Tell me, what is it? And they'll tell you, well, look, it wasn't easy. I didn't always want to do it. Started off as a discipline. Then it became a habit. And now it's just, it's part of who I am. It's like breathing. It's like going to the gym. It's like what I, it's like what I eat. It's just, it's part of who I am. But here's the thing you have to understand these private disciplines these private disciplines have to be grounded or anchored to a personal relationship. It has to be anchored to a personal relationship with Jesus and what I mean by that is there's a certain point growing up, many of you teenagers or you young adults right some of you you were you were drugged here, okay? I can tell by the, 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 the what your face looks like, okay? You were dragged here. You were made to be here. And I'm still glad you're here, okay? Just so you know, all right? And I will bribe you in any way I have to, okay? I was handing out primes, last service, okay? To get children to love me and stuff. Um, but I understand that. But at some point in time, it can't be your mommy, your daddy's faith, okay? It can't be. How many of oh, St. Louis area? We all know this, you know? We all, we all grew up, you know, what are, where are you? i Catholic, what is that? Like, what does that even mean? I'm Catholic. I'm Lutheran. You know, that, that's not a faith. You know, those are churches. That's what they are. You know what I mean? It's like somebody asking you what religion you are, and you're like, anchored hope. No, that's where you go to church. It's, we're not a religion, okay? They're all Christian, okay? But we, we, we grew up like that, right? Because what was that? Well, that's my mommy's faith. That's my daddy's faith. I grew up Lutheran. I grew, I grew up Catholic, okay? But the thing is, is at some point in time, it has to become your personal relationship with Jesus. It has to be something you want because you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus. Because here's what happens. If the private disciplines are not anchored to a personal relationship with God, this is what my dad always used to call it, what ends up happening is you end up going through the motions. Just going through the motions. Just doing the things. And you don't even know why you do them. And for many of you, there's probably a huge context of millennials in this room that this is exactly where you are, and you haven't been able to figure it out because you grew up in church your entire life. You've gone to church forever. You're in this church now. You're in your mid-30s. You probably got a kid or two or five, some of you. And that's a different conversation. We'll talk about that later. But now you're like, man, I don't know. I just don't feel it like I used to. I just don't get as much out of it as I used to. I'm really, honestly, if I were being honest, I'm struggling to pray. What is it that's changed? Here's what's changed. Is your personal relationship with Jesus has changed. You lost your why. Why? You've walked away from your why, and you don't even know why you're doing it anymore. You don't know why you're going to church, and so it's so easy to skip it. You don't know why you're reading your scripture, and so you just skip it. You don't know why you're praying or what you're even praying about, and so you just skip it. I ringing any bells yet? See, the thing is, is that, yeah, there's an external part to this thing, right? Following Jesus. But if if the internal part isn't aligned with it, then we're just going through the motions. Then we're just doing the thing. What ends up happening is instead of following Jesus, we just end up being religious. And we all know what that looks like, don't we? Because we've all ran into some very religious people. And you've thought, what the heck is wrong with you, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's like you'll run into a person, and you know because it's all over their Facebook, and you know they even talk about it at work. They go to church every Sunday. They do their devotions. They're in a a a, a male uh, Bible study, a girl Bible study. They go to Sunday school, and they give to the church. They always talk about that and stuff. But then you look at them, and you talk to them at work, and you're like, "Ooh, you're nasty." You know what I mean? Like, geez, you are, I know you go to church, but you're a jerk, you know, or my gosh, you're whiny, you know, Uh, man. uh, And you just, you look at some of those people and you're like, God bless your spouse. I would not want to be married to you. You know what I mean? Or I'm going to start praying for your children, you know, like that, you know, that type of thing. And sometimes they're so mean, you know what I'm saying? Like you talk to them and they're mean. They might even be Racist. Maybe even a little judgmental. And you're just like, what what, 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 "What, what is this? I know you do all the right stuff, but your heart is ugly, you know? What is that? Let me tell you something. Anybody can do the disciplines. Anybody can go through the motions. Anybody can go to church every Sunday. But if it's not anchored to a personal relationship with Jesus, if it's not somebody who's following Jesus, if it's somebody to just be religious because... You know, here in the Midwest, that's what we do. Because sometimes we can even use being religious for clout. Sometimes being religious is just another name for a gang of people we hang out with. Whatever it may be. But it doesn't make us better at life. And it doesn't make our uh, our life better. And many times we end up misrepresenting Christ. You've met people like that. And they've made you feel small. And they've made you feel bad. And for some of you, that's the reason you haven't been to church in a very, very long time. So, we're going to talk about some spiritual disciplines. And these are private ones. These are things that are up to you. There's things I don't even know if you're doing them or not. They're up to you. They're between you and God because it's between you and your personal relationship with him. And I'm going to name three, and you could probably think of more. That's fine. But here's three that I see very commonly in people's life. Daily devotions, percentage giving, and corporate worship. Daily devotions. If you talk to somebody of great faith, whose faith inspires yours, they'll probably tell you, you know what really changed for me? is yeah, I went to church every Sunday, I was listening to the content, I loved the preaching, but then I opened up the scriptures for myself. And I started to read the life of Jesus, and I started to be inspired. And here's the thing, even Jesus gave us some practical information on what this looks like. He said it this way, he said, hey, when you go and pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen? Jesus was very, very specific about this instruction. He said, Hey, I want you to go and be alone. Not with your pastor, not with a podcast, not with a small group, not with your spouse, not with your kids. I want you to, it to be you and God, you two alone. And he said, and I want you to go in a a private place. I don't want you to be seen. This is not a thing you do for clout. This is not a thing you brag about. This is not a thing that you take a social media post for every day and be like, look at what I did. I'm on day 34 straight, okay? That's not that type of thing. This is something between you and God. It's something that you and God are supposed to do. And here's the thing. Many of us, we fight back on that immediately because we're like, oh, I would love to. I just don't have the time. But here's the thing. Jesus himself Jesus Himself was a very busy guy, if you don't know. I mean, these these years of ministry that we have recorded in in the New Testament, I mean, it's about three and a half years of ministry. I mean, Jesus was on the clock. And yet, here's what it tells us. It says, when news about Jesus spread all the more, the crowds of people, man, they, they came from everywhere to hear him, to be healed by his sickness. Luke investigated all this. He goes, man, there was a point in time where there was just people all over Jesus. Jesus couldn't go anywhere without there being people. But then Luke tells us something very specific in the next verse. He goes, but still, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Even Jesus needed to get alone with God, which boggles my mind. God in human form on earth needed to go spend alone time with his Father in heaven who is also God. I don't know what that looked like, okay? But the fact is that Jesus did it. Jesus did it. He got alone time with for, for, uh, to, to pray. And how did he do it? What was his trick? Again, very practical. He said, uh, this was uh, Peter telling it to Mark. He said, very early, early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus would get up. He would leave the house and went off into a solitary place, place where he prayed. Peter Peter said to himself, he goes, man, I tell you what, we would wake up so many mornings, we'd be making coffee, and we couldn't find Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was off in the wilderness, talking to God, doing who knows what. We had to go find him. And, he, and Peter would, even said, we would go find him, and this is what we would tell him. Simon, who's also known as Peter, and his companions would go look for him. And when they found him, they would tell Jesus, dude, everyone is looking for you. They would tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, uh, it's time to wrap this up we got a crowd of people waiting for us. we got things to do. And Jesus knew the timetable better than anybody, right? But yet, what did Jesus do? He'd say, exactly. I know we have a lot to do. That's why I need to go spend alone time with my Father in heaven. Exactly. There's so much to do, which is why I need to rely on God. It's why I need to carve out time with God. And so for Jesus, Jesus gave his first minutes of his day to God. In order to get ready for everything that he needed to do, that alone time, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it. People do it so many different ways. But the goal, the goal of our devotional time, our alone time with God, is to acknowledge God's greatness and surrender our will to God. See, the thing is, is that. Whenever we spend alone time with God, time in the scripture, time reading about the life and ministry of Jesus, time praying, do you know what happens over time is our conscience aligns with God's conscience. What matters to God begins to matter to us. I, you know, again, I just mentioned it a minute ago, I, I, I cry so often on Sundays, okay? And I'm not an emotional person, but I do cry very, very often. But there's certain things that trigger me, that get me crying. But, but here's the thing, I, I literally had somebody from our church one time, they called me, they said, are you okay? I said, what do you mean? They go, well, I just notice you cry an awful lot. And I don't know if it's like an issue with your father or what it is. You know what I mean? just wondering if you need to talk to somebody. I'm like, no, no, no. It has nothing to do with that. Here's what it is. And I really do believe this. I I grew up in the church. I have a good personal relationship with God. And here's the thing. Over time, I know the reason stories like that that I just told, they make me cry, is because I know that makes God so proud. If you cried in the middle of that or shed a tear or did a little... (laughs) Okay? That... That is because you, you, you know that's cool. You're inspired by that. You're amazed by that. You know why? Because for a li- just for a microsecond, in that little bit of time, our hearts aligned with God. And you felt a little bit of what God feels. When God sees that stuff happen, when God in heaven looks down and he sees what's going on in the middle of Walmart, it puts a smile on his face. It gives him such joy, such pride to see one of his children walk into the church, regain their faith, choose to follow him, and God nudges him and goes... Go over there and say something. And then all of a sudden, a relationship is reconciled. Just like that song, I've seen families reunited. I've seen prodigals returned. I mean, I heard that lyric over there. And again, you know, because you're like, yes, it is. I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've heard it. And for a moment there, we feel the heart of God. And our hearts are aligned with His. There's no other way to know what God's will for our life is. Unless we spend that time aligning Our hearts. And then the second thing. The second thing is percentage giving. Which, again, if you're new here, if this is your first Sunday, you're probably already thinking in your head, oh, there it is, okay? Church talking about money, okay? We don't do this very often, and you notice beforehand, okay, we never had a time in service where somebody came by with a KFC bucket and shook it in your face and was like, Dalla, la bill, y'all, okay, nobody did that or anything. We are not that kind of church by any means. But let's be honest. If you talk to somebody of great faith, if you talk to somebody whose faith inspired yours, I guarantee you what they will tell you is there came a point in time where I trusted God with every area of my life. And yes, that included my finances. And they, they, they align their life. We talk about this all the time. They align their life in this way. Their priorities were to give first, save second, and then live off the rest. Give, save, live. And we've talked about this many times, many, many times. The way most of us in our culture, the way we live is we live and then we save if we can. And then we give if we, if we have anything left over. But people of great faith, what they will tell you is they give, they save, and then they live. And here's the thing when it comes about money, whether you're talking about it with a financial advisor or a church or whatever it may be, the thing why this feels so personal to us and it gets us a little bit wound up is because the truth is is it's not about money. The truth is is that what it comes down to is priorities and responsibility. Because the thing is is that when it comes to our priorities, you have to ask yourself a question. In your life, do you put other people first or do you make sure you and your family get yours first? Who gets the first cut? Who gets, who gets priority? Most of us will admit if we're honest with ourselves, I make sure me and my family, we get ours first. And then it comes down to responsibility. The truth is is that if any of us were going to be generous in any way, shape, or form, whether it's to a non-for-profit or it's a church or whatever it may be, even it's just helping out a friend, in order to do that, you have to be responsible with your money. You have to know where your money is coming and where your money is going. You have to master your money, not be mastered by your money. And here's the thing. A lot of us don't have the, the discipline of being responsible with our money. Because in order to do that, we would have to have a big, bad B word. I'll say it silently. A budget. Oh, my gosh. Dear Jesus, take the wheel. Right? I mean, that's the truth. And here's the thing. Kate and I discovered this during the pandemic. Okay, This is the only good thing about... The pandemic, besides, my wife was locked in the house with me for four weeks, and she was forced to spend time with me. But besides that, uh, when we were in the middle of the pandemic, you know, we couldn't go anywhere, right? Remember that three to four weeks where we couldn't go anywhere? Couldn't go to a restaurant. Kids couldn't even go to school, you know, you, but you couldn't go to the movie theater. You couldn't do a lot of stuff that we normally do. And so, Kate and I, we, we, we got our, our, our credit card statement. And in, in, in our banking statement at the, at the end of that month. And you know what happened? We had so much extra money in our bank account. Like we were rich, you know, I'm rich. Chappelle show. Anyway, but we, we, we had all of this money and Kate looked at me and she was like, oh my gosh, did you start an OnlyFans account in the middle of the pandemic? And I'm like, no, I didn't. I'm just making sure you're awake. Anyway, uh, but we had all this extra money, and Kate she she took out all the other uh, credit card statements and tried to compare them. God bless you. Uh, and and we wondered where in the money, where in the world this money came from. Do you know where the money was going? That now it was not going. Starbucks. It was Target. It was. It wasn't Lowe's. Let's be honest. I'm not a Lowe's guy. I don't. I don't, they don't hand me power tools. I just go to Target and accessorize. Uh, You know, it was the movie theaters, it was the gas station snacks. You know, it was all of this stuff, but all of a sudden we couldn't do those things. So we had all this extra income. Wow. Look at it right there. It's like, you know, we, we were kind of being responsible. We were still giving, saving and living, but you know, we were, we were still not saving exactly what we we could have been saving. But when you got to see it on paper, like, oh, wow, if you cut off some of these things that really don't matter, don't really go anywhere. Look at how much extra income we have. And I know right now in the middle of this economy, right, everybody, this makes everybody a little bit nervous because everything's really high right now. We're all feeling it, right? We all know that and and I understand that. We've all felt it. My family has felt it too. Some of you have gone from saving on a regular basis and you haven't really had to monitor your income. It's like, you know, hey, if the kids want something, oh, we'll have the kids have something, you know? You have this regular thing of being able to enjoy yourself and go out on the weekends. And now some of that has changed. And you're like, oh, geez, like our our bank account is actually kind of dipping. Wow. So we're more is coming out than more is coming in. Uh Oh, we have a problem here. I understand all of that. But here's the thing. Our family has felt it, too. But we've made a personal decision. And again, it's such a personal decision. And I don't know what anybody in here gives or anything like that. But our family has made a personal decision that we will always make sure that we give first. That we are always going to be generous first. And if there's anybody that we have to tell no, we are not going to make, we are not going to tell the non-for-profits that we support no. We're not going to tell the church no. We're not going to tell our friends no. If there's anybody we're going to tell no, it's going to be us and our kids. And we've done that. We've had to tell our kids, look, you've been invited to four birthday parties. Pick which one's the cutest or which one's your best friend, all right? Because we get it. But we've we've decided we've made the personal decision to always say yes to others and to choose to say no to ourselves. And I know that's worrisome. I know that's scary. I know that's bothersome. But you know, when Jesus talked about this, he said this: "Hey, don't worry, don't worry." Saying, "What shall we eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear?" And most of us, we don't even understand this. We've heard this verse 20 million times. We don't understand it. You know, we're eating just fine. Uh, we're drinking just fine. You all have great clothes on. You all look terrific today. So I, I wrote a little Mike Davis version of the Bible. Okay, don't, you know, tell God or anything. But like maybe if Jesus was alive today, this is the way he would say it. He would say something like, hey, don't worry. Saying, will my kids hate me if I tell them we can't go? Or what will I do without my $7 coffee every day? Or what if someone notices I'm wearing the same shirt that I wore before, right? Because honestly, these are the things we worry about most. Because let's be honest, a lot of us, we use our finances not just to get stuff. We're really looking to feel a certain way. Or we want our kids to feel a certain way. We don't want our kids to be without. We want our kids to feel loved. So when they ask for something, when they say they want something, of course we say yes, because we want them to love us. We want them to know that we care about them. And this is the way that we feel like we have to do that. And honestly, we chase after certain things to feel a certain way. To, to, to feel not sad. To feel not alone to feel better, to self-regulate ourselves, to stimulate ourselves. And Jesus, he says this. He says, hey, man, the pagans run after those things. That's what the pagans do to feel a certain way. That's what the pagans do to feel good. But, you know, your Father in heaven knows what you need. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. And many times, if we are honest, what we have, what we have, it doesn't make us feel good enough. No vacation has been good enough that we didn't need another one. You know, no camping trip has been good enough that we didn't need another one. No, no, nothing. Nothing has ever made us feel good enough that we didn't need another one. And here's what giving exercises. Giving exercises our faith because it involves letting go of what we are most inclined to put our confidence in rather than God. And here's the thing, and you know this. When you see this lived out in the world, you're inspired by it. I don't know if you know this or not. Everybody knows who Keanu Reeves is, right? Right, Keanu Reeves, Matrix, John Wick, Bill and Ted. Kids, don't go watch any of these movies, okay? (laughs) These are terrible movies, okay? I don't watch any of them, all right? But we all know who Keanu Reeves is, all right? Anyway, so Keanu Reeves, if you don't know this... Everyone on the internet loves Keanu Reeves. If you get on Twitter, there's just all this stuff about Keanu Reeves because everyone loves Keanu Reeves because Keanu Reeves is just like this most down-to-earth, generous guy. He lives in New York. He still takes either his bike or the subway. It's just amazing, you know? And he wears like the same thing every single day. It's like a black t-shirt, black coat. He looks like John Wick just walking around town except for like 10% more homeless, you know? And then there's all these stories that have come out of like on movie sets and stuff. Like in Matrix, he took a pay cut so he could pay the stunt crew more. In uh, John Wick, he bought he bought the, the film crew all of, these, uh, all of these gifts and stuff and took it out of his own personal paycheck. So people are like, dude, Keanu Reeves is the best. He's so modest, he's so down to earth, he's so humble, he takes care of people he uses his money to put other people first and you look at that and you're like that's cool, Keanu Reeves is the best and he's not even a Christian, right? Let me ask you something Why is it cool for Keanu Reeves to do that but not you? And I know your answer Well if I made as much as Keanu Reeves did, no, 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 no no, 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 no You can't do that you can't say that Keanu Reeves should do that, but you shouldn't. That's called being a hypocrite, right? Because here's the thing. Most people don't need you to buy them uh, motorbikes or anything like that. Most people just need you to be there, be there for them in small ways. The church, what we do through the community, it don't take much to do what we do in the community. We just, we just need it in small ways. But see, here's the thing. Jesus, he told us this. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the things that you want to feel, all your things that you want to try to get out of life, they will be given to you as well. And then the last thing is this. Daily devotions, percentage giving, and corporate worship. There is something that happens when we're together that we cannot experience alone. I, Jesus said it himself. Jesus said this. He said, for where two or three gathered together in my name, there I am with them. Here's the thing. You may be watching online right now. Hello. You did not just get to experience what we just experienced in this room. You're just taking in content right now for whatever reason you're at home. You're just taking in content. But what we just experienced in this room together were these... These altars were full of people and we got to tell that story. And you heard that little in front of you and it made you, you know what I mean? And all, I mean, we were just together and everything we're experiencing in this room. I see people before church and after church laughing together, high-fiving each other, telling stories. There's something that we experience differently when we're to God, when we're together. And here's the thing. Christianity is not a solo sport. It's a team sport because we're a body. We're together. And we should be together, not because of the content. I've told you this so many times. I said this last week. It's about the relationships. It's not about the content. You can listen to better worship music and more worship music in your car right now. You can listen to way better preachers than me online. The thing is not, it's not about the content. It's about the relationships. It's about the person that is next to you right now. And the thing is, is we're a body. You, we, Paul said it himself He said you're the body of Christ And each one of you is part of it And the other thing that happens When we gather, to get, when we gather together Is we have to give up a little bit of our autonomy We have to give up a little bit of ourselves Because I guarantee you If we pulled everybody in here Everybody could think of something That they don't like about this place I mean, if we did a poll, I bet somebody would say like, well, I wish, you know, so dark in there. You know what I mean? The lights are all turned down. It's so dark. Wish we could open up the windows and show the stained glass or something. You know what I mean? Or, you know, I just, I don't like, I don't like you, pastor. You know, tight jeans, little shirt. I mean, what is that? You know what I mean? I mean, no podium. You know what I mean? I just, the, the music, the music is just so loud. You know, sometimes I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or if I'm having a heart palpitation. You know, I don't know where this voice is going by the way i don't know where this is coming from or anything like that but we could all think of something like, yeah, that's not my jam. I like more traditional music or I like this or I like that. But here's the thing. Here's the beauty of being part of a church. And here's why I hope you're here or why you're trying our church out. It's because you're, you're looking for a body to belong to, a body to serve along with. And here's the thing. When we walk in this room, all of us have to give up a little bit of our preferences, a little bit of our autonomy for the people, other people in the room. It's practice of putting others before ourselves. What does that sound like? Kinda of sounds like heaven, right? It's almost like this is practice for heaven, putting other people's needs before ourselves, putting other people's preferences before our own. And I always cringe when somebody walks in here and they're like, we're church shopping. And I was like, oh gosh, what does that mean? I hope what you mean by your church shopping is you're trying to find a a church with a mission that aligns with what you want to see happen in the world. And you're coming because you think you have something to offer the body and you would like to be the leg or the thigh or the arm or the thumb of this place. And you'd like to help in what we're trying to accomplish But if you come in here And you're looking for a certain kind of worship And a certain kind of music With a certain kind of atmosphere With a certain kind of preacher You ain't in the right church There's tons of other ones That are trying to fit a niche That are trying to fit a certain kind of vibe That ain't us around here But that's not what it's about It's about being a part of a body And it's about serving Other people so, what grows up and blows up your faith? Private, spiritual disciplines. Daily devotions. Generous giving. Corporate worship and gathering together. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. This is, this is Mike Davis' 30-day faith journey challenge, okay? We're going to call it Bodied by Mike, okay? Bodied by Mike's fifth. Anyway. I didn't do that first service. It didn't work. Anyway... 30 day challenge to give, to give God the first minutes of your day, to give God the first minutes of your day. And man, I've debated with people about this because somebody always say, I'm not an early riser or whatever else I'm telling you, dude, I can say this and I, I'm guilty of it too. If I don't give God the first minutes of my day, he probably ain't getting any minutes. That's the truth. All right we got to give God the first minute, minutes of our day, the first dollars of your income. And again, this is not a campaign for anything with the church. If you don't think that the church's mission of inspiring people to following Jesus by engaging them in the life and the mission of the church is worthy of, of, of your generosity, then by all means, I will name you five non-for-profits that I could throw a rock at over there and over there and over there that you could give to as well. Don't use that as an excuse. You should practice generosity on a regular basis and it should be based... on. On a percentage, not a tip formation, okay? And then the other thing is this, the first day of your week to be here to be here, and again, I know sometimes you don't feel like being here okay? But again it's not about you okay? I know sometimes you don't feel like it, sometimes I don't feel like going to the gym, sometimes I don't feel like eating healthy sometimes I don't feel like a lot of things but here's the thing, this is practice for what heaven's going to be like And if you don't start practicing, getting along with other people and being with one another and and giving up some of your autonomy for somebody else, boy, you're going to hate heaven because that's all heaven is. (laughs) So that's my challenge to you. And here's the thing. Bodied by Mike has a 30-day uh, guarantee, okay? If you, i tell you what, if you do this, if you give God the first minutes of your day, the first dollars of your income, and the first day of your week, and you say, that did not make my life better and make me better at life, I will give your money back, guaranteed. I don't think I can actually do that. <laughs> the, leadership, the leadership team is going to have a talk with me. But I'm saying it right here on YouTube. 30 day money back guarantee or Anyway, but seriously Try this do this And here's what I think you'll find I think you will find that it will Make your life better and make you better At life and you know what might happen It might start out as an As an ought to But I think an ought to Will quickly turn into an I want to Let me pray for you Father God I pray for everybody In this room God, would we take this seriously and put this into practice in our life? Would we be anchored to our personal relationship with you? Would we give you the first minutes of our day, the first dollars of our income? Would we give you the first day of our week? As we're here today together, gathered, praying together, crying together, laughing together. God, would you help me to make it make it a habit? Of being here. Because I'm part of something. I'm part of a body. I'm not a butt in a seat. I'm not just an attender. I'm part of something. And you have a plan and a purpose for my life. So God, I give you my life. I give you every area of my life. I give you my time. I give you my money. I give you you my priorities. Help me to be responsible with it. Help me to be disciplined with it. In your name we pray. Amen. The band's going to lead us in two songs.